We have too many blowouts in this sport. Way too many blowouts in this sport. Keeping it condensed, keeping people engaged, hoping that the game comes down to the final drive is something that we should certainly try to consider. Hello and welcome in. Today is a Wednesday edition of Always College Football. It's the 22nd of February. We hope that you're having a terrific day, whether it's on the ESPN YouTube app, whether it's with us via the podcast. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We're continuing to chug along here into the offseason. The good news is a couple teams that got underway already as it relates to spring practice. We're going to take some time next week because there's a few, there's only like a handful this week. We're going to take some time next week to dive into some teams that are starting spring practice. Maybe a question or two for each that they need to figure out here in the next 15 practices before they head in to the summer and ultimately into the 2023 season. I'm Greg McElroy, Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, Jake's with us. We're all here because we love college football all the time. And I can't consume enough college football. Uh, it, it never ends. It never leaves me. Even as the XFL is kicked off, I'm part of those broadcasts. I find myself coming back watching college football games from last year. There have also been a few rule changes that have been proposed by college football executives. Many people, many, many people have kind of rolled their eyes at the idea of altering the game that you and I love so ridiculously much. But I'm going to explain to you why the changes aren't for you and me. They're not for us. We're the hard course. They're not for us. I'm going to explain to you why maybe the changes are necessary as we move forward. Not suggesting that they need to completely alter the game that we know and love, but we're going to be there no matter what. We'll address it here in just a minute. And we're going to get to our mailbag. A bunch of questions that have continued to pour in. We're going to respond to a handful of those. So let's not waste any time. Several rule changes on the table. Let's break down what we should and shouldn't do. Let's talk about it. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. All right, college football executives laid out 
it almost felt as if they were kind of taking a temperature check on the college football world when some of these things were announced on Monday. Let's look through them and go line by line. There were four different proposals that are going to be looked at, okay? Four proposals, not saying that they're all bad, not saying that they're all good, not saying that they fall somewhere in between. Let's take it line by line, okay? Let's start with proposal number one. You cannot call consecutive timeouts at any point in the game. Now, a lot of people are like, well, are we making a bit of a mountain out of a molehill here? Yeah, I would say we are. How often do you feel like we need to ice the kicker by calling multiple timeouts? If anything, if there's one thing we've learned, these kickers have found, they get a practice run when you ice them. They hear the whistles blow. Guess what? They get a practice kick. And when they see it go through the uprights, it makes them feel pretty good. See it miss? Fine. It's okay. It doesn't matter anyways. They can probably, like I do when I hit an errant tee shot, I blame it on the guys talking two holes away, right? That's what messed me up. It had to have been that. No, this to me feels like a no-brainer. The only issue that I could possibly see with this is if an offense, for whatever reason, had an issue and maybe they had to call a timeout because they had the clock running down and the play clock was running down. So they call timeout, they go to the sideline, they talk about it, they go back out there, the shot clock's rolling already, and they're in a position, oh, hang on, I, we can't snap it, we don't, we're not in the right formation or whatever the circumstance may be, they had to do another timeout. Like In that particular instance, like, yeah, I'd love to have two at my disposal, but ultimately, and I'll tell you why in a minute, I, I think we need to avoid those situations to begin with. So I'm okay with instituting this rule. It doesn't really change the fabric of the game that we know and love. No back-to-back timeouts, fine by me. Put it in tomorrow. Option number two. Here's where we're starting to get to the weeds a little bit. No untimed down at the end of the first and third quarter. Is this a big deal? No, absolutely not. How often does it happen? How often throughout the course of the season will a team experience an untimed down at the end of the first and third quarters. Now, I didn't have the analytics available to me. I looked everywhere. I Googled everything I knew to Google. How many untimed downs? How many untimed downs at the end of game? You could get coupled graphics that were at the end of game situation, but it wasn't anything that I could knowingly look up and be able to articulate. Maybe once a season, I call 30 games a year between XFL and college football, roughly. I don't recall the last time I had an untimed down at the end of the first and third quarter. Maybe they happen, but who cares? It's an extra 40, extra minute, extra minute and a half, potentially added onto a quarter that might seem meaningless. You want to get rid of them? Fine. I don't really care. Even as an offensive guy, yeah, I'd love another crack at it. I don't want to see a quarter end on a defensive penalty, but does it really make a difference? No, it's not that big a deal, especially as you're moving forward with 15 minutes to play before the end of half or end of game situation. Number two, you want to put it in, go for it. Get rid of untimed downs. Doesn't make much of a difference. Here we get into the parameters of the game. Number three and four have been extremely, extremely controversial amongst the hardcore college football audience. Proposal number three, the clock will begin to run on the ready for play after the first down. Okay, the clock is going to continue to run now. They're going to get rid of stopping the clock when a first down is made. Here's where I have a little bit of an issue with this. Now, look, I know the statistics, okay? The average NFL game is about 155 plays. The average college game 
is 180 plays. They want to talk about player safety. Well, limiting snap exposure could help with that. But ultimately, man, I don't really want our game to look like the NFL. I'm not super thrilled about that. I also acknowledge, too, at the same time, the one thing that we do really differently. You ask anyone that watches football, hey, what's the biggest difference between the NFL and the college model as far as game rules are concerned? I would imagine it's probably going to fall into one or two buckets. One, it only takes one foot down in bounds to convert a completion. Okay, to catch the football, you need one foot down. That'll be one thing. The other is the clock stops on first downs. Those are the two things that I think are synonymous with the college game. So you are really changing the fabric of the sport that we all love. So I'm not super thrilled about it, if I'm going to be completely honest. A lot of people are saying, well, why would you want less football? I'll explain why I think that's a faulty argument. But either way, I don't really love the idea of this rule change. I don't. There are other things I would do to expedite the game along. And then finally, if you think I don't like number three, imagine how I feel about number four. The clock will run on the ready for play after an incompletion. That's right. So basically, we're just doing running clocks up until the final two minutes of the half. And one thing I don't like, and I know the NFL is a little bit different. They have the two-minute warning to make sure that everyone knows, hey, the rules are different in these final two minutes. I don't love that. Like I've never loved that. Because I don't want the game to feel any different in the final two minutes than it does in the other 56. It just feels odd to me that we're going to have the referee announce to the crowd, hey, just so you know, final two minutes, the rules are now different. The timing is now different. The way that we are going to officiate the game is now different. The way we review is now different. Like It just feels odd to me. The game should feel the same from minute 60 all the way to minute one in a ball game. They should all feel the same. Now, the level of urgency that the teams play with, obviously that's going to feel a little bit different. But either way, I can understand. So basically, I hate rules three and four. Hate them. But I can understand why they are presenting them. And here's where I come from on this. The average college football game right now is averaging about three hours and 21 minutes. That's up from 316 just a couple years ago. Okay, we are seeing a trend in college football in which games are getting longer. And that's okay for you and me. And that's okay if you only watch one game a weekend. And I don't think anyone that's watching this show right now, I, I'm not naive enough to think that you, fans of always college football, fans that are seeking out college football content here at the end of February, I'm not worried about you. I know you're going to be there on fall Saturdays because I know... On fall Saturdays, I am on my couch and or in a booth and or watching college football from noon until 1 a.m. Eastern. It never fails. In some cases, later than 1 a.m. Eastern because I'm watching all of Pac-12 after dark. I am. I just love it. And in some cases, depending on the weekend, I might be watching Hawaii that kicks off at 11.59 Eastern. I'm probably not going to watch that whole game if I'm going to be completely honest, but I'm going to consume as much college football on Saturdays as humanly possible. And I think all of you probably feel that way as well. And then for those of you that watch just one team, let's just say, for instance, you're a fan of the Ohio State Buckeyes. 
If all you care about is the Ohio State Buckeyes, and that's the only game that you're going to watch, you don't care if the game goes four hours and 12 minutes. You don't care if the game goes five hours and 12 minutes. You're going to be with the Buckeyes from start to finish each and every Saturday. That goes without saying. But these rule changes are not for you. These rule changes are for the audience that wants to consume more. These rule changes are for the audience that can't commit four and a half hours on a Saturday to a college football game. And by the way, that audience is bigger than the hardcore audience. And if the goal is to ultimately grow the sport, having a condensed version of the sport with more action is going to be more consumable. So I'm not super thrilled about the changes either. Why? Because I'm a hardcore fan. But I know my four-year-old son is going to be captivated by the Spider-Man shorts on Disney Plus more than he is a full-length documentary about Spider-Man that's two hours. Those five-minute shorts, he's all about. That two-hour movie, yeah, probably going to get a little bit lost in the weeds. Now, he's four years old. I'm using him as an example, but that's an extreme example I might add as well. But if you look at how we consume content, people are not sticking around for long periods of time. They want things fast, they want things condensed, and they want to move along. Why do you think on YouTube, this platform that we use so frequently, why do you think that there are condensed games put out by the ACC network, the Pac-12 network, the Big Ten? There's condensed games that are doing insane numbers of clips. People are clicking on them. They're watching an entire game in 30 minutes and boom, they're on to the next. Because there is an appetite for having condensed football games. There's an appetite for that, not for necessarily us, but for a bunch of people. And when you take it one step further, people are going to talk about the length of game and all these other things. You know what is also a little bit of an issue in college football? Margin of victory. Margin of victory. You realize that Georgia last year, I know they're the best team in the country. They won on average by nearly four touchdowns. 27 points per game they won their games by. There were five teams, actually, that their points per game margin, even when you factor in losses, was in the 20s, north of 22. So on average, they're winning games, even if you factor in their losses, by 22 and 23 points per game. If you want to go one step further, factoring in losses. There are 27 teams out of 130 that won their games, points per game margin, by 10 plus points. And that's factoring in losses. So for instance, if you win a game by 30, and then the next week you lose by 21, your points per game margin in that instance is nine points per game. So factoring in losses and yet still 27 teams, nearly a third or really 20% of college football are winning games convincingly. So what's one of the best offensive plans when it comes to keeping another team's offense off the field? Take the air out of the football, right? Condense the game. Fewer plays, fewer snaps keep their offense on the sideline, what have you. Play keep away, if you will. That's actually 
a type of plan to use against super successful football teams. Well, if there's fewer offensive snaps in the game because they want to implement these running clocks, guess what? We're going to have more competitive ball games in the final five minutes of the game. Potentially, not saying all the time, but the games might ultimately be more competitive. We have too many blowouts in this sport. Way too many blowouts in this sport. Keeping it condensed, keeping people engaged, hoping that the game comes down to the final drive is something that we should certainly try to consider. And then another thing, and other people always push back, hey, you know, I don't want to be shorted. Like I, I want to watch as much football as humanly possible. Well, let me ask you this. When you watch Army Navy, did you feel like you were shorted because there weren't that many offensive snaps? Did you feel shorted? Because I, I personally didn't. I felt fulfilled by the amount of action that I got in that game. That game went to double overtime. That's right. If you remember, Army-Navy this past year went to double overtime. And what did I tell you was the average snaps per game in college football last year was 180, right? Well, Army-Navy went to double overtime. And they snapped the ball just 150 times. That's on the button. Army had 61 offensive snaps. Navy had 61 offensive snaps. And there were 29 special team snaps, including kickoffs, field goals, extra points, and punts. 150 snaps in that game. And guess what? It came down to the wire. And guess what? It went to overtime. And guess what? We all still felt fulfilled by what we saw on that Saturday. So while I'm not going to try to sit here and tell you that I'm a big fan of the proposed changes, I'm not. I don't like messing with something that doesn't feel broken. I love college football the way it is. I'm going to watch college football. If games go six hours or if games go six minutes, I'm going to watch it. I can't get enough. But these changes are not for me. These changes are not for you. They're for the next generation of football fans whose attention spans are shorter and want to do more on their respective college football Saturdays. So all that in saying, while I don't love the rule changes, I acknowledge their forward thinking and trying to adjust and accommodate to the fans of the future. It's just, if you're going to mess with college football, understand it's going to be met with crazy resistance because there is generational passion for the sport that we love so much. Macri, let me ask you, you're, this might be too inside baseball, but what if they just shorten the commercial breaks? I mean, I, I like make the commercial breaks cost more money, but shorten the breaks from three and a half minutes down to two and a half minutes. Wouldn't that help speed up the games as well? It would. And in a perfect world, you'd love for commercial breaks to be shorter. And if you actually look at the games that were not televised versus the games that were, the difference was only a handful of minutes. People say, oh, it's the commercials. It's the TV. They're the ones that take forever. No, it's, it's like three to five minutes, roughly. Games that weren't televised length versus games that were. So it's not some massive change. And the other thing too, everyone wants to beat their chest about how much money their conference makes. Hey, look, look how much money we're getting from Fox and CBS and NBC and ESPN. Look how much money we're getting. We love it. This is amazing. We're the best conference. Look at the revenue that we're able to drive to our member institutions. All the conferences want to talk about how much money they make. And then none of the fans want to sit through the commercials that's going to help drive some of the money to 
your respective school. So while I kind of see it on the other side of things is that, look, these networks, ABC, Fox, NBC, CBS, these are networks. It's not cable. The only way that they can create revenue is by selling advertisements. So those ads are not going away. They're not going away anytime soon either. You got to get comfortable with that. Could you do less? Perhaps. You're going to look at it like a supply and demand. We don't need to have some economic theory here about, well, there's fewer commercial availability, so they cost more. People will just say, we're good. I think there are also ways, if you want to cut down commercial breaks, there are ways of incorporating advertisers into the broadcast that could be valuable for the networks as well. Here's one other thing too. Right now, if games run, just so you know, this is really inside baseball, but if you want to know how college football game works, you have your promo, you have your sales, you have your commercial breaks, all these other things laid out when you go into the booth to prepare to do a broadcast. These are, this is not some, we'll have somebody on at some point, someone that could probably better articulate these things. I'm in charge of the football side of things. I'm the analyst. I'm the color guy. That's what I do. But when you have games that go too long, for instance, games that are at noon, let's say they end at 347, okay? Well, if that game's at noon and it ends at 347, well, guess what? There's another game that's supposed to be kicking at 330. So you have a 17-minute overlap from game one to game two. Well, think about when you watch a broadcast. You come on the air, you have the Nissan pregame rush. You have Dr. Pepper. You have Chick-fil-A impact players. You have starting lineups that are sponsored. You have a pregame aerial shot that is sponsored. And if you have overlap from the previous game, guess what they're covering up? All the sales elements that are built into the first five minutes of the next broadcast. So if a game has a, if you have a production that is front-loaded with their sales elements and they're on ESPN News as opposed to ABC, there's going to be make goods as far as sales are concerned. And that's not ideal for the networks, which ultimately has a negative impact on the schools that are performing and the conferences that are showcasing the schools. So that's roundabout 30,000 foot perspective of how broadcasts are built. So there is also a benefit to getting out on time so that the next game can start so that the built-in sales elements can also be put on the network that they were purchased to be put on. So I know roundabout inside baseball, something we can talk about a little bit more down the road, but either way, there's a lot that we can probably do. We can visit that at a future date. There's a lot that we can do before we really alter how we officiate the clock in the game itself. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? 
It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's move forward to some interaction with some of our amazing listeners. We so appreciate all the different questions that you've sent our way already. We look forward to continuing to get to them too. Alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Hit us up. We'll get to them. Some of them are wacky, by the way. Like some of them are a little wild. Like if you're going to ask us a wacky question, we're probably not going to air it. Like tell us about that time that that team blew out that team. What'd you think of that? Like we, we're not, probably not going to ask answer that. Like we're thinking more like big picture. If you want to ask specifics about a league, a team, a game, a recruit, a player competition coming up, spring, like all those things are fair game. Rules, big picture, you know, relocation of teams into different leagues, like relegation. We can do all that, but let's, let's not ask about how Bama got blown out by Clemson back in 2019. Like, go watch the game if you want us to answer it. All right. So, <laughs> appreciate you guys interacting with us. You can also hit us up on our social media at AlwaysCFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. Coops, what do you got? All right. First of all, Jim in Idaho, I think that was aimed directly at you. So, all right. We're not going to ask that question. I didn't right? play but moving in that on, game. Like, I, I didn't play in that game. Like, what? Why did Clemson blow out Alabama? Because they played better. I, I, what do you want? What do you want me to say? I mean, they won. I, I mean, like, how, how am I supposed to break it down? I'll let you. Hey, you have the tape. Go check it out. Why don't you tell us in your email why they blew them out? I think that'd be fair. Uh, that was such a good question. All right, first one's from Carl in Florida. Can you rank the top five coaches in the SEC right now heading into the 2023 season? I can. Yeah. And I think that one and two are, are somewhat interchangeable depending on where you're at. Like if you're looking at it, quote, right now, understandable that you might have Kirby Smart at number one. I, for one, am still going to have Nick Saban at number one. Uh, not because, you know, he, I think he's necessarily better, but it's hard to ignore seven national championships consistently getting his team to play at a pretty high level last year was met with certain challenges the year before that as well. But either way, I mean, he still has his team within striking distance every single year and has since 2008. So it'd be difficult. I think for me to not have Nick Saban at number one, Kirby smart would be two though. And that is a closer margin than probably ever before. That margin used to be significant. It was Nick Saban than everybody else. I think Kirby smart has now joined the fray at the top of the college football world. And he doesn't take a back seat to anybody else not named the GOAT, Nick Saban. Number three, I have Brian Kelly at LSU. Now, some people might feel differently about this, but I had them six times last year, all right? Saw their team in week one, saw their team in week 13. I bookended the regular season with calls of LSU games. And to see how much that team improved throughout the course of the season was remarkable. Look. He had two freshman tackles. He had a defender. Arguably, his best defender was a true freshman. He had a receiver that was a headache the entire season. He had so many different challenges that he had to overcome this year, and yet the team continued to improve. Now, they looked terrible against Tennessee. They looked terrible against Texas A&M. But it's year one. I mean, you look at most first-year coaches, he performed adequately in what was 
a gauntlet of a league and a gauntlet of a division, including getting the elephant, you know, addressing the elephant in the room and getting the monkey off his back by beating Alabama for the first time as a head coach. So I would have Brian Kelly in there at number three. At number four, I have Lane Kiffin. Now, some people might feel differently about this. You'll look at how his team finished the year. You're going to say, hey, that is not reflective of where you want them to be. But look at what Ole Miss lost off of the 2021 team. The fact that they were even ranked where they were at any point last year is a testament to what Lane Kiffin was able to replenish. They lost so much productivity, both offensively and defensively, off the Sugar Bowl team in 2021. They did an adequate job. I wouldn't say it was a flawless job, but they did an adequate job of putting those pieces together and I think putting forth a fairly good product. I think Lane's a really good recruiter. He's great in the portal. And I also think Lane probably is able to replenish his roster as well as just about anybody that isn't at some destination school. Look at Ohio State. You can replenish the roster easier than you can at Ole Miss. At Florida, you can replenish the roster easier than you can at Ole Miss. But Lane, being who he is and how he's had access to the portal, I think I would have him in there right now at number four. But nipping at his heels, I would have number five, Josh Heupel. I think Josh Heupel, after last year, did a great, great job. But like Lane Kiffin, it's one thing to break through. It's another thing to sustain. But I am cautiously optimistic that he's going to be able to sustain into the upcoming season. You look at what they bring back. Yes, they have to replace a quarterback. Yes, they have to replace a wide receiver. They have to replace some pieces on defense. But if you look at what Tennessee brings back, they should be in the mix. I'm not saying to win the SEC East, but they should be at worst number two in the SEC East. And I don't remember the last time Tennessee had preseason expectations like that. All right, next one comes from Brad. He says, with conference expansion, is the SEC the runaway favorite is best conference in college football? Or is the Big Ten going to close close in with USC and UCLA? As an Alabama fan, I think the gap will close between conferences, but the postseason results will keep the SEC ahead. I think it just depends. And this is a really big picture question. The SEC is always going to be in a remarkable position of strength because of the footprint that they occupy. Look, it is remarkable the amount of players from the southeastern part of the United States that are playing not just the college football level, but in the NFL as well. There is more talent that are in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and South Carolina, North, you know, I mean, if you want to include Tennessee has some pretty good players as well. Missouri's got some good players as well. Like the talent that is in that footprint is in some ways unrivaled. Now you could say, well, California sends a lot of guys D1 in a given year. You could say Ohio is great when it comes to their personnel. You could say Pennsylvania has had a lot of great players in the past. New Jersey has high quality college football players as well. But ultimately, the density of talent in the southern United States is better than that of the northern and the western hemisphere. You're going to say, well, density. Density is the operative word. You can tell me there's 40 million people living in California. Well, how many people of those 40 million are Division I prospects? Okay, Not as many as, say, the amount of people living in Georgia. The density and the college football prospect per capita in Georgia and Louisiana is far greater 
than that of California and or other places. So that's something to take into account. So I think the SEC will always have a slight advantage because of their recruiting footprint. But the dollars that the Big Ten's going to have because of their new television contracts, I think will close the gap. Because if you look at it, and you can take a place like Purdue, for example, Purdue's commitment to NIL is off the charts good. They can pay top dollar and attract big time players because they have deep pockets. Same can be said at a place like Nebraska. Matt Rule said, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not taking that job. They said, all right, you sure? Here's our NIL package that we're able to offer players. He's like, okay, hang on. Um, yeah, we're going to Lincoln. I think that will strengthen the Big Ten across the board because they are more than likely going to be wealthier than that of the SEC. So that's something to take into account. When it comes down to it, I think college football playoff games, it's all about matchups. And traditionally, the SEC has fared very well in matchups like that. But it's very cyclical. And there was a long time that the Big Ten and SC and other programs, they dominated the college football landscape. Last two decades have really been dominated by the southeastern part of the United States. But it could come back around. It just depends on what things look like in the NIL world, I think, in the years to come. All right, here. The next one is from Chase in Tennessee. He asks, should Tennessee fans be okay with a souped-up version of Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma teams for the majority of the Hypel era in Knoxville? So I think what, what Chase is trying to say is they can get to the playoff, they can score a lot of points, they can be very exciting, but maybe they won't be able to win a national championship. My pushback to that is how do we know Lincoln Riley won't ultimately win a national championship at SC? Uh, obviously, look, he was a head coach for four or five years at Oklahoma, had some great, great seasons, came up short in the postseason. But you look at what he's done at SC already. I mean, I think he's ahead of schedule. We'll see what happens when he gets to the postseason, when he gets back to the playoffs, because I feel like that is an inevitability. Is it going to happen in 23? I don't know. Is it 24, 25? I don't know. SC is going to get to the playoff under Lincoln Riley's watch, especially in an expanded format. But I think Tennessee... Their goal should be to win national championships. I mean, ultimately, that should be your goal. If you've done it before, you can do it again. I've always believed that. And I, that goes for Nebraska. That goes for programs that people say there's no chance they can do it. If you've done it before, you can do it again. Tennessee did it 25 years ago. Can they do it again? We'll find out. I do think that the 12-team playoff is going to give you more access and more opportunities, but it also might be tougher to navigate through the likes of Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, Etc. whoever it might be at the top of college football at any one given point. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I think Tennessee fans should be thrilled with where they're at right now. But no, I mean, if they are five years from now, if they're consistently at nine, 10 wins, they should be pumped. It's a lot better than what they were. But ultimately, you want to see progress made. You want to see playoff trips made. And you want to see playoff wins happen under your head coach's tenure. All right, hey, thanks for being with us on a Wednesday edition of Always College Football. We'll continue to revisit these rules as we move forward. Look, I don't love it. I don't think you do either. I'd be surprised if you did, but understand that the rules are not for us. The rules are ultimately for the casual audience, and I know we don't necessarily love the casual audience. I know I certainly appreciate the casual audience, but I don't think we need to move mountains in order to appease people that watch the sport and consume the sport casually. I don't I don't necessarily care. Like if they don't like it, fine. 
but that's not a smart way of doing business. <laughs> like smart way of doing business is to try to constantly grow, try to constantly attract newer, younger demo. It's going to be important for college football as they move forward. And hopefully the right people are in charge to make the tough decisions necessary to make sure that our product is as strong in 2050 as it is today in 2023. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We look forward to continuing to interact with you in our mailbag. Always college football at gmail.com or on social media at always CFB, both on Instagram and on Twitter. Submit your questions. We'll put them on the list. We will get to them in a future episode. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack Foster, Mark Kubiak, and Jake, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.